This meeting is being recorded. <laughs> That's new. Hi, this is Greg Anderson, and this is the Living in Carver County podcast. It's an insider's conversation with the people who make Carver County the best place to live, work, and raise a family. I'm excited today because I have Casey Stanley as our guest, and Casey's got a super cool initiative that I became aware of about a month ago, and it's called the Real Hope Project, and we're going to get into it, but it's just really, really cool. So Casey, thank you for agreeing to be on. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. I like to start off with just maybe a brief background on your story. You know, where'd you grow up and, you know, kind of how is it that you got to, to where you are today? Yes. So I am from kind of the Duluth area of Minnesota, Twig, Minnesota, if you've ever heard of Twig, <laughs> is where I grew up. And um, so at 20 minutes outside Duluth, came to the cities for college. I went to Bethel University in St. Paul and then really never left. I lived in California for about a year in the middle there, but uh, but mostly have been a Minnesota girl from, from the get-go. Okay. And, and... So talk a little bit about it. And the Bethel, I was kind of teased. I have a bunch of friends that go there. I'm, I always tease them about the old fighting pastors. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the name, the football team. Um, yes. So maybe just, let's just dive into it. I know you're, you're pressed for time and you're squeezing me in and I appreciate it. So maybe just talk about Real Hope Project, you know, kind of let, give people an idea of what this actually is. Because I didn't talk much about it in the intro, so I kind of wanted to give you the floor. Yeah, totally. Okay, so at the Real Hope Project, what we do is we make videos of kids in foster care who are waiting to be adopted, and then we use their videos to try to find a forever family for every child. So Real Hope really came from an experience that my husband and I had. We'd always wanted to adopt. We always just felt like that was something that we were called to. But we noticed that when we would tell people that we wanted to adopt, we would almost always get a lot of support and enthusiasm and like, oh, adoption. Yeah, you guys should do that. That's so great. Um, but if we said we wanted to adopt kids from foster care, um, then we would sometimes get a pretty different reaction and a reaction that was more like, oh, I don't know about that. And like, have you heard these stories about foster kids? Have you done your research on foster kids? And Obviously that reaction really does come from a place of love and people just wanting to know, you know, that we knew what we were getting into. And on this side of things, we have adopted now from foster care. And at, on this side of things, I can see like, yeah, those were good questions. Those are important things for families to think through. At the time though, it didn't feel like the most encouraging response to hear. And so we had dreamed and prayed for years about like, how do we help to change the narrative around adoption from foster care, especially within the faith community. That's where we both kind of had grown up and um, where we sort of identify and notice that like faith communities, churches especially have such a strong heart for kids who need families, like missions trips to orphanages, child sponsorship programs, all kinds of like really great beautiful things. Um, and so we were just like, man, it's not that people don't care about kids right here in our neighborhoods. Um, I think we're just not always like aware of it. And mm -hmm. so we were kind of dreaming about how do we help to sort of change that narrative and bring more openness to adopting from foster care, adopting right from our own backyards, um, kids who are really needing families. And out of that, the Real Hope Project was born. We were inspired by what we saw happening in some other states. So we're not the first ones ever to start making videos of kids. Um, I think we are the first ones to kind of do it the way that we do it and to focus so exclusively on it. Um, but we were inspired by other states that have started doing similar things and thought we can get that started and 
So we started in 2016, hit the ground running, started making videos of kids only whose parental rights have been terminated. So that means they are the foster kids who cannot go back home. They're only the ones who for sure need to be adopted. Um, and in the last six years, we've made reels now for, I think it's just over 300 kids around, around oh the gosh. state. So we've seen some, some cool things happen. So, so how did you have, I mean, do you have a film background? I mean, a, a production background? I mean, what, what's your day job? Yes. Yeah. Good question. I was at the time I was a youth pastor, a fighting pastor. <laughs> so I was a youth pastor at a church out in Elk River for about eight years. And really part of this too came from my experience as a youth pastor. We had a pretty thriving youth ministry. There were about 200 kids in our youth ministry. Elk River is a pretty affluent area. And I just saw for almost a decade that I worked in this church, like, man, we've got a great program going on here and we've got great schools and there's great systems in the city and but it doesn't matter like none of those things could hold a candle to kids having families so year after year I would see kids come through our really great program and go through these really great schools and just would always see the kids who have stable families thrive and the kids who don't don't no matter how good our schools are no matter how good our churches are no matter how strong our government programs are it all comes back to family and so just um yeah saw that for a long time and then launched the real hope project out of that church so i talked to my my head pastor at my church and said hey i want to get this started i think we could do this and he was super supportive and was like yes do it so i kind of got to taper down my hours at the church while things tapered up with real hope we called one of my good friends um who's actually the videographer at my wedding his name's dan dan is a phenomenal videographer and has a ton of experience with kids and especially with special needs kids which is a big issue in the system So we called Dan early on and said, hey, this is our dream. We think we can get this started. Would you volunteer to make a few videos with us? And he said, absolutely. And now Dan's been on staff for like five years. (laughs) Um, So just slowly, slowly drawing him in. (laughs) Well, the videos are are compelling. And we were talking offline. I said, the only problem I had is it made me want to adopt all of them. I mean, the the (laughs) videos were just tremendous. Especially there was a little boy with a horse. And it was just so sweet. Um, and uh, I think, uh, there was another one, a girl that was really wanted to become a, a, a professional makeup stylist. And I mean, they were just, they were, they're just really, really well done. So who does the scripting then? Is that something you do or do they, uh, does Dan do it or how does, what's kind of the, what's sort of your creative process? Yeah, there's really no scripting. The main focus, we have like a list of questions that our shoot lead um, operates off of. So I used to, when we first started, I led every shoot. So Dan was the videographer and I was like, essentially like the Barbara Walters of the, like trying to like interact with the kid and like get them. Producer, director, question prompter, right. Exactly, yes. I was kind of the interviewer and he was getting the footage. Um, I'm vaguely familiar with how that works. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) So, um, but now we have a, a staff and we have a shoot crew that we send out. So I'm not as on the videos as I used to be. But what we've done is we created a list of questions um, that we can kind of always kind of flow in and out of um, just to have some kind of base to jump from. But then the most important thing is really just planning a shoot that the kid is going to enjoy. So our team does a lot of coordinating with the social workers to learn like you know, oh, this kid loves makeup, this kid loves horses, this kid, whatever. And then we'll try to find a location that's going to help really bring that kid to life. And then we hang out for a little while and get comfortable and help make sure that kid um, really can kind of come alive and not feel it's intimidating to have a 
as a kid, adults you don't know, asking you about something as personal and maybe vulnerable as family when your experience of family has um, across the board been pretty, pretty difficult. Um, and they have a camera in your face. Like that's a lot of intimidating factors. And so we try to take a lot of time to kind of get kids comfortable. And then we also will talk a lot with the social workers about how is this kid feeling about adoption? A lot of times for older kids, even if they want to be adopted, saying it out loud can feel really difficult because it can feel like if I say I want to be adopted, that means that I don't love my birth mom or I don't miss my birth dad. Or, you know, like even if they're wanting that forever family, sometimes acknowledging that can feel really, really hard. And so we'll talk with the social workers about how is this kid feeling about adoption? What's like their level of openness? Are they super excited about it? Are they more hesitant? And for those kids who are more hesitant, we can approach it in a much less personal way and more of kind of an abstract way. So rather than asking a kid like, what does your dream family look like? We've had kids say, my dream family was my birth family. Like, I just wish they could have taken care of me. That would have been my dream, you know? Um, and so then we also have ways of asking kids that are less personal to them, like describe your dream family and more like, if you had to explain what a family is to an alien, uh, how would you say what a family is? And like kind of allow them to sort of remove their own emotion from it to be able to talk about it a little bit. And, yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's cool. Yeah. So we hang out with the kids for a couple hours on their video shoot, and then it takes about a week to get it edited. And then we get it to the social worker as fast as we can so that he or she, it's almost always a she, so she can use it for uh, like recruiting families. And we get it on our website. We share it at events every week, do what we can to try to assist in finding a family for that kid. So that's what I was going to talk about next is like, what's the distribution method? I mean, can the kid put it on Facebook or does, I mean, I'm assuming it's probably more personal than it, and it's probably happening at a different altitude than their sphere, but you know, what happens yeah. with the video? How does that work? I mean, do they, Yeah. What, what's the next step then? You said, you Good mentioned question. the social workers, but I mean, social workers are only going to engage with the people that are engaging with them. I mean, it's not like they're prospecting. So, so yeah. how, how do you get that? How do you get this out? Yeah, so the social worker then determines the level of exposure that the video can get. Um, so they can, when they sign off on us making a video, they let us know how much exposure they want that kid to have. For some, it's like, blast them out there, put them on social media, put them anywhere that you can. We're, we're kind of open to families um, anywhere. Other times there could be safety or privacy concerns for that kid. And so they'll say, um, and there are times when we don't put the video anywhere and we only put it on a flash drive that the social worker gets so that she can use it only for families who've been home studied and background checked. Like occasionally the safety issues are that severe. Wow. Other times we can put it on our website. We can put it on social media. We go to churches pretty much every Sunday and then different events throughout the week as well, like rotary clubs, conferences, um, anywhere we can get in front of people we want to go. And we highlight kids every week in that way, just kind of out in the public. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes social workers can even get as specific as, like we've had social workers say, yes, I would love for you to share this kid on Real Hope's Instagram uh, profile, but not on Facebook because maybe birth dad is really active on Facebook and we just were nervous about that. So we want to just keep it separately, uh, keep it separate. Or you can share it at churches and events every week, but nowhere within 50 miles of Rochester, because there's a relative we don't trust in Rochester. So keep it out of that area. So we really oh, try wow. to follow whatever the social workers um, ask us to for each kid, because there, there certainly are some safety um, circumstances and even just privacy for the kid and what level they're open to. Some kids are like, 
they don't care. They want the whole world to see. They're super proud of their reel. They look awesome in it. They want it everywhere. Other kids are like, I don't really want all my friends at school to know that I'm like looking for a forever family or that I'm currently in the foster care system. So each reel kind of has its own file. And then we follow the specifications that are laid out for us. So the, in, was that kind of trial and error to get to that level or what, I mean, are there, or was that kind of right out of the shoot? you're coordinating with the foster or with the, um, uh, the, the case workers to kind yeah. of set boundaries or how did that evolve? I mean, is that an evolution or is that kind of where you kind of cognizant of those issues out of the, out of the gate? Um, I would say kind of both. We were cognizant of some of it and then had to be coached in some of it. So we've worked with some amazing social workers who are just always willing to help our team keep learning because I wasn't a social worker coming into this. I didn't know all the system and how all those pieces work. So I knew that there would be some of those elements that we had right from the get-go, but then we've also had to kind of develop it as uh, as we've gone along. So for example, WCCO recently started sharing our reels on their um, news program on, I think it's on Friday mornings, they um, highlight a reel each week. Um, but now we know that we need to ask, we need to get special permission to do that. We're not gonna do that for every kid. Not every kid wants to be on the news. So like we've, like it's been a learning curve for us to have uh, the bones of a system and structure there that we've kind of had to evolve as opportunities arise and new platforms start and you know, all those, all those kinds right, of things. Right. Yeah. Do we go on TikTok or not? Do we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, it, it, that just sounds amazing. Um, do you want to, you, you mentioned, I'm going to kind of back up a little bit. You had mentioned the, you know, how well kids thrive and, you know, that stuff that you were aware of, obviously, you know, in, um, you know, when you were working as a youth pastor and things, but do you want to speak to that maybe in a more of a broad sense in the state of foster care? I mean, you, you, you touched on a bunch of things here that I think probably freak a few people out that they wouldn't have considered, you yeah. know, the dy- the, the, that there's these different dynamics. And I, sus- I suspect with some of the kids, it's like, well, my life was normal until mom remarried and then the wheels fell off. And, and so they might not want everybody in that sphere to know where they are currently because it's maybe inconsistent with where they were, you know, yeah. a myriad of reasons why it could, it could go that way. I think you and I talked offline that we did foster care when I was young and as on our farm and, and, you know, the challenges around birth parents who were ill-equipped to be mm-hmm. good parents. And so the dynamics has to be kind of weird, but maybe chunk up to, you know, the, uh, your opinion of what's going on with foster care and, and the needs and, and, uh, you know, maybe more of a little, a, a global perspective on foster care and, you know, the, and the, what's the demand for yes, your yes. services? Yeah. Let me kind of paint the picture for at least the state of Minnesota on an average day in Minnesota, there are about 10,000 kids that are in the foster care system on an average day. Now the goal of foster care is reunification with biological parents. So the hope when a kid goes into foster care, the hope is that mom and dad go to rehab, find stable housing, find stable employment, whatever it is that they need to do. The hope is that they do that and kids are able to go back home. Um, 
Now, obviously that doesn't always happen. So the, the kids that Real Hope works with are only the kids who have gone through that whole process. Mom and dad have been given in most cases, at least about two years of chances to kind of take the steps that they need to. They have not taken those steps. Parental rights have been terminated. And these kids are now wards of state until the family steps in to adopt them. So when you go on our website and you see those kids, sometimes we have people say, oh man, I would just love to adopt them, but I'd be so scared that they'd be taken away and brought back to their birth parents. And that that is actually the goal when the kids are in foster care. The goal is that they would go back home to mom and dad. But with our kids that are on our website, that is no longer an option. No one can come and take them away once, once they are adopted into a new family. The hope is really that the next place they move to would be their forever home. And in Minnesota, though there are 10,000 kids in foster care, there's only about a thousand kids who are waiting to be adopted. So 9,000 so, of sorry. those- So by, by, by waiting to be adopted, you mean they've, the parental rights have been terminated? Exactly. Okay. All right, exactly. just yeah. trying to be clear. Totally, yeah. So of those 10,000, 9,000 are really in limbo. Like they don't know, are they gonna end up going back home? Are they gonna be adopted by their foster family? Are they gonna need to be adopted by another family? Only about a thousand of them, parental rights have been terminated and they're waiting to be adopted. Those are the kids that we make reels for. In terms of sort of the trend of foster care and adoption in Minnesota, there's been a, a major pendulum swing, as we always see, I think in culture, there's always pendulum swinging. And so years ago, um, I'm, I don't, I shouldn't get too specific. I would guess around like the 60s. I talked to a woman who was adopted when she was a baby. And the reason that she was taken from her birth mom was that her birth mom was 16 and her birth mom's dad, so her grandpa, was on welfare. Um, those two things were real. Those two things were the reality. And so the system came and took her away. Like that was it. Birth mom had no chance. It was like, you're 16, your dad's on welfare. The baby's being adopted. She was adopted into a, a loving family and she's doing wonderfully, but like that is not the way that the system operates anymore. It used to be like if those two factors were in place, baby's out of here. Um, now the pendulum has swung much further to the other side where we've seen that like when birth families can stay together, that that can be what's best for kids. And so parents are often given um, parents are given much, much more opportunity than they were given, let's say in the 60s, um, mm. to be able to get back on their feet and um, keep their family whole and intact. Um, and that's been overall a really good move. But then, of course, as you can imagine, there's lots of challenges that come with that, too. And so the kids who we make reels for um, are almost always older. We've done very few reels for, for young kids under the age of five. I think 95% of our videos are for kids who are over the age of six. And that presents challenges too, because as we know, the older kids get, the more difficult it is to find them families. They can't be adopted until their parental rights are terminated, but sometimes mom and dad are given two years, three years, five years, seven years to like keep having chances after chance after chance after chance. So it's it's like a balance and nobody really knows where that cutoff point should be. Everybody within the system is just kind of doing their best to care for kids. Um, but the pendulum has definitely swung pretty far toward the prevention side of things. Um, and I guess we'll kind of see how that, how that shakes out. So in the, in the course of that pendulum swing, have you noticed, uh, I mean, statistically, are there less kids in the system or are they still, it, it, or, the, or is it, just, are you talking about a pervading attitude or are you talking about actual numbers? I'm talking more about a pervading attitude. Okay. Um, the number of kids in the system has, uh, well, it actually plateaued this year, but nobody's sure if that's just simply because of COVID, all the ways that COVID impacted 
like literally everything. Um, so, but numbers have been increasing in Minnesota for, uh, for a long time, largely due to our opiate crisis issues. Um, the number one reason kids end up in the system is parental neglect because of parental drug abuse. Um, so yeah. drug abuse is sort of the underlying issue. So the numbers of kids in the system has continued to climb until COVID, which then again, nobody knows if that, if those numbers have stalled out because abuse and neglect aren't happening or if it's just not being reported because kids weren't out in the community for a long time. So hard to, hard to tell. Sure. How long sure. All land, you know? Yeah. I had um, someone on, you know, we've done episodes around you know, per, uh, you know, tangentially around this with um, Southern Valley um, Alliance, and um, it's for um, uh, uh, it used to be Southern Valley Alliance for Battered Women, um, okay. and then uh, you know I had on um, the director of uh, foster care for Carver County, and so you know it it and then and then like you and I talked about offline about like um, uh, you know the kids you know that these kids are especially vulnerable to mm -hmm. um to abuse or trafficking or sextortion i didn't even until i had jessica bartholomew on the podcast i didn't i had never even heard that term before you know mm -hmm. and so yes, yes. Uh, just a lot of there's just a lot of you know it, it, as much as you know you mentioned elk river being a you know fairly affluent place you know carver county generally very affluent um but that it, we're not immune to these um totally you know, these issues so totally. Yeah, the the stats and the data around what happens when kids age out of foster care is it's pretty devastating. Uh, like family really is the foundation, I believe, to a healthy society. And so um, it's estimated that it's up to 80 uh, percent, up to 80 percent of people in our prison systems um, were once in foster care or were once connected to the child welfare system. That doesn't necessarily mean they aged out of the system, but it means they had some sort of childhood trauma that was negative enough that they landed in the welfare, in the child welfare system. 80% um, of women who are sex trafficked in the United States were once in foster care. 20% of kids who age out of foster care without being adopted into a family become homeless the day after they turn 18. And then this one's crazy. Two thirds of the girls who age out will be pregnant by the time they're 21. And two thirds of those babies will end up right back in foster care. And so we just see such a cyclical such a cyclical generational issue. Many of the kids that we've made reels for have talked about like, oh yeah, my mom was in foster care. Um, and so it's like, man, I think- Well, you have uh, teens having babies and then it, I mean, and the cycles get so short because they're so young when they're having having these kids. Are you familiar with New Beginnings? We had, I had Sue on and, you know, it's the pro, Chaska's got one of the um, schools that where the girls are allowed to go with their oh. babies and there's, you know, care providing and, and, and yeah. scripting, you know, to try to break that pattern, right? That, um, you know, that scripting on, on everything from prenatal care to the, you know, parenting skills to life, you know, planning, goal setting and financing. Yeah. And there's people that come alongside and mentor, you know, on personal finances and things to try to break that pattern. And yeah. so I think that's such an important piece. And so you're, what you're doing is such another important piece that you pull this kid back out and then you have this potential to break this generational um curse or uh, curse yeah. uh, but this generational um struggle yeah struggle yeah thank you i was trying to find a better word yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> so. yeah when you say um let me ask you this when you say scripting in in that context what does that mean like just sort of re 
Well, like parenting. I mean, like, you know, when, I'm, I'm, when I talk about scripting, I'm talking about like, you know, the stuff you, the stuff that you took for granted that you learned from your parents that you didn't even yeah, know yeah. that you know how, how, you don't even know how you learn that. Yes, right. Yes. You know, you're, you're getting that type of reinforcement. You have that, even if it's just an example um, mm. of, of something that you're watching, you're watching how people interact, how, what, you know, that's how you learn. I mean, you absorb things all the time. You're always learning is whether totally. you're learning something that's positive or something that's, or you're just repeating a, 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 a an unhealthy behavior over and over again. And it becomes this yeah. sort of generational, um, it, it, you know, an unfortunate generational gift, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Wow. So <laughs> thank you for the overview. Cause I think that's, it's so important to kind of get that, to keep getting that message out. And, and it's like, and so the yeah. question is always, how do you get upstream? Right. You know, yeah. where can you affect things? And then that have, that'll have, you know, systemic sh- shift, systemic yeah. change in breaking these, you know, these patterns and, and, and try to prevent this, you know, from, uh, all these things that you're talking about, the girls that are being trafficked and the people ending up in the penal system. So. Yes. Yes. And that's one of the new initiatives that we recently started. So we've been around for six years now and we've always been focused on um, making reels for kids who are needing to be adopted. And that is, that continues to be sort of the bread and butter of what we do. But we recently started a new initiative that we're calling upstream stories, where we're telling the stories of families, churches, and organizations that are swimming upstream to prevent kids from ever needing a reel down the road. Um, And so we will tell the stories of birth moms who were in crisis, but who got the support that they needed to keep their kids together. So we point to, we have a partner organization. Have you ever heard of Together for Good? Um, I, yeah, I've heard it, but I don't know much about it. So they're awesome. I always try to give shout outs to together for good. It's essentially like foster care prevention. So it could be a mom who she's known for years. She needs to go to rehab, but she can't go to rehab because she'll be there for 30 days and who's going to watch her kids. They're going to end up in foster care. So she doesn't go. And so she can reach out to together for good and say, Hey, I need to go to rehab for these 30 days. Or, or even just like, I'm, I'm about to like lose my mind and I need to just like have some support in my life um she can reach out to together for good and they will find a safe family to care for her kids temporarily um until she's in a place to parent them better um and that's totally voluntary on her part like with foster care the county comes in and and it's it's no longer optional they are taking the kids out um but with Together for Good, it's voluntary on the mom's part to say, I need some support. I need some help here. And they will set that mom up with a support family um, to then prevent her kids from ending up in foster care and then potentially floating downstream and then needing to be adopted. And then we're making real for that kid down, down the road. So I feel like with us and Together for Good, we kind of could approach it from like the two sides of the of the spectrum um, to try to continue to to. Um, empty the system really in Minnesota. So with our upstream stories, we'll tell together for good stories of kind of foster care prevention. We'll also tell foster care stories of like, um, I think at the Rotary Club that you were at, Greg, I think we showed a family that had done foster care and helped a mom reunify with her mm-hmm. kids. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but... Just kind of the, like, obviously for that to work, all parties need to play nice together and in this story they really did and so trying to kind of cast the vision of like this is what foster care can be um when all parties have the same goal uh which isn't always the case i understand 
um, but trying to get more families who are willing to, to swim upstream in that direction as well. So hopefully we can have families prevent foster care. We can have stable, healthy foster homes for kids that help families reunify. And mm -hmm. when that's not possible, we can find adoptive families for awesome kids who need a, a stable place forever. Cool. It, you know, it, there's, we, we talked offline about the, the declining numbers of kids, of, of parents or families that were, that are available for foster care. And so it sounds like what that organization's doing is what they're, the county's got, Carver County's had a couple of initiatives where in addition to be, you know, it's not like an all or nothing, you know, the sort of um, myopic or, uh, you know, or bilateral decision about I'm going to be foster care. I'm not, they, they have other, a couple other ways that you can come alongside and be part of the solution. One is to get, go through the training and then do that type of respite um, relief that the families need. Um, yep. And then the, then the third one was to be supportive from the standpoint of, you know, whether it's gift cards or clothes or making meals or something that you can yes. come alongside and support, um, you know, families that are doing, that are doing the foster care um, as well. Yes. So um, yes. I love I love that idea of you know like a collaborative effort to try to address these things and and I just picked upstream we I, I promise anybody who's listening we didn't rehearse that upstream thing yeah <laughs> <laughs> just the magic of the podcast you know. <laughs> So Casey, I want to, I know we're going to run out of time here in, in a fairly short order, but is there like a favorite story or like, like one, like if you had to, if you had to be pick one story that you've had that just kind of like really resonated in your heart, um, you know, would you be able to share that? Oh, I would love to. Yes. Um, one of my favorite stories, I mean, there's a bunch of them, but this one's still one of my favorites. Um, relatively early on as an organization, we made a reel for a sibling group. Um, and these kids checked every box of like difficult to find a, a family. So like, I'm like chronically optimistic. It's like debilitating <laughs> by optimism. And I would leave every shoot, like we nailed it. We're gonna find a family for that kid tomorrow. Like this is gonna turn out great. And I just remember with these particular kids leaving their shoot, um, just pretty discouraged because they checked every box of, of tough to find a family in that they were, uh, they, it was a group, there were multiple of them. So that already makes it more difficult. They were teenagers. So that for sure makes it more difficult. There were some just unique needs with these kids, which makes it more difficult. And then they also wanted to stay in the same town where they already lived. Like they weren't open to moving. Wow. Yeah. And it was like, I, so I remember just driving away with our videographer and just being like, man, I, I don't know if anything's going to work out this time and just feeling really sort of sad and discouraged and um, made their video, posted it everywhere we could. Like a year later, we got an email from a dad named Tim who just said, Hey, I just wanted to tell you, I saw these kids real. And I just knew as soon as I thought that they were my kids, I left my job so I could uh, have a job that was more conducive to parenting and started the process, got to meet them and connect with them. And we're finalizing the adoption in a couple of months. Oh, cool. And it was like, what? <laughs> Crazy. And so we got to do a, a, a family follow-up. If you go on our website, you can see the story of, of Tim and his kids um, is on our website now. But my favorite little um, side note in that story is that they emailed a while back that they, as a family, they bought a boat and they named it um, The Real Hope. <laughs> oh, cool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> I love that. 
I love yeah. that. So, so how can people engage with you? What's the best way to kind of, um, you know, if, if somebody wanted to have somebody come out and do presentation, you know, do a presentation or they want to, you know, forward it to some friends they know that want to expand their family, what's the best way to, for people to reach and connect with your organization? Yes, I would say that for anyone listening, there are three things that I would love for you to consider. Um, follow, invite, and give. So number one, follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, and just share these reels. We're posting reels every week. And um, even if you're not in a place to foster and adopt, it's likely that someone in your sphere of influence is. And sometimes just seeing a video posted can be kind of the, the straw that breaks the camel's back back. And so, um, so please follow us and share these reels as you see them posted. Um, secondly, invite us. If you are connected to a church, a conference, a rotary club, um, anywhere that people gather that we could come and, um, share these kids and get them in front of people, we would love, love, love to do that. Um, you can reach out to us on our, on our website. There's a contact form right there, or just email info at the real Real is spelled with two E's, like a movie reel. Um, so follow us on social media, invite us to your church or event. And then lastly, give to financially support Real Hope. We're 100% privately funded and can only survive because of people who give one-time and monthly gifts to um, help us do this work and find forever families for kids. So consider financially supporting us. Um, so invite follow us, invite us. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting to see if you could do that again. <laughs> I know, I couldn't, I lost it. <laughs> Nailed it though. Yeah, <laughs> we got there. <laughs> All right, and I'm going to put the uh, link to your website on the, um, and then info at real the realhopeproject.org. Uh, I'll put in the show notes and uh, I'll, we'll get this, we'll get this published. But Casey, this was really, really fun. You're just a, uh, you know, you're just such a breath of fresh air and what you're doing is important and it matters and it's just super cool. So I'm so delighted that you agreed to be on and um, we'll do everything we can do to try to get as many eyeballs and get you eyeballs forwards and dollars. <laughs> yes, awesome. <laughs> All right, I'm going to stop recording right now. <laughs>